This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 158. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. What a week last week. Uh, I had an amazing interview with Annie Duke. And uh, and I made my live television debut on Making Money with Charles Payne on Fox Business. And uh, I just wanted to start off by, by thanking you all for your kind words and, and support. Uh, live TV was easily the most terrifying experience thus far in my career. But uh, I'm really jazzed about uh, another opportunity at some point in the future. So thank you, Charles. Thank you, everybody who uh, uh, tuned in. And uh, you know, hope, hope I did everybody proud. Um, so uh, also another quick announcement, our next investor event is our main event, the Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual, taking place April 20th through 22nd, 2021. The website is now live, and you can find all the details on the event at www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Registration is open, so click the register button once you are there. Uh, wait, a lot of updates that'll be coming your way as we get closer to the event. You know, speakers, keynotes, general presenting companies, the whole deal. So go register so that you can stay updated as we keep putting out more information. So I'm very excited about this year's event, and, I, and I'll see you all there. This week from the SNM Podcast Network, uh, we have the following shows coming up. On Avoiding the Crowd with Maj Sway, Don, we just published an episode titled Crypto 2021. Is it 2017 all over again, or is this something else? In the last few months, the digital assets market has seen quite a run-up, and Noah Goldberg recently joined the geo-investing team to cover the crypto market. So Maj invited him on the show to share with you all of what's happening. So you can see this episode and listen, watch the whole deal uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com or also on Maj's website at geoinvesting.com. And we also have a solid show on tap for the Investors Roundtable. This week's topic is the gamification of the stock market. I actually brought this up in my interview with Charles Payne last week, and it's become the new hit phrase on all the mainstream media shows. So obviously, we have to contribute to the conversation. Uh, you can watch this episode on the SNN Network YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash SNNWire. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Francisco Oliveira. He is the president of Aravilo Capital Management. I had Francisco on a recent episode of the Investors Roundtable to discuss the future of media and streaming services. And we thought it would be fun to have a full conversation about streaming services. 
look, I will find any excuse to do a podcast talking with colleagues about our favorite shows and podcasts. Uh, but despite thinking that we would do that primarily, we actually do get into discussing various business models, what's working, what's not, and more. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 158 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my conversation with Francisco Oliveira. back everybody to the planet microcap podcast i'm your host robert Kraft, and i have a great guest for you today I, honestly i don't even know if we're gonna get to like uh, the businessy side of stuff we might i don't know we we both share a huge interest in every comic book movie and series coming out on disney plus and marvel and, and stars and all that so we might just be talking about uh <laughs> all that stuff no spoilers of course uh, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, I'm very excited to have him on today. We got Francisco Oliveira. He is the president of Aravillo Capital Management. Francisco, thank you for joining me today. How you doing? Awesome to be here, Bobby. How's it going? Uh, you know, like, listen, we, we, it was funny. We had this scheduled for, for 3 p.m. Pacific, and we spent the first 20 minutes just catching up on shows right now. So, I, yeah. I, like I, I mean, look, I don't know if we're going to get through <laughs> some, of the, you know, some of the main topics we wanted to talk about today, but it's all related. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we can get into investing related in terms of the shows and which ones are good stocks. So, yeah, it's, it's also all in, interconnected. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, man. Well, let, let's give some people some perspective on who you are and how you got to where you're at today. So before we get into the fun stuff, uh, this is fun too. Don't get me wrong, you know. But before we get into the, you know, talking Mandalorian and Wonder Woman two or anything like that, you know, let's start with your background. You know, where where did your passion for investing begin, and then what led you to uh, Aravillo Capital Management? So, take it away. I think it it be began late high school and then kind of accelerated and, and got juiced up in in college. Uh, my father was my mentor. Um, is in the investing business and asset management business. And he gave me uh, Joel Greenblatt's book, the, the little book that can beat the market, the little blue book. And it was a very, very easy read for someone who, you know, they didn't know anything about numbers or, or, or business at the time or the stock market. And it just kind of, he talked about Buffett, talked about value investing, talked about buying good businesses cheap. And at the time, of course, I thought, yeah, just, do a screen, buy at a low multiple, if it's a good business and it's easy, you know, markets aren't efficient. But of course, um, you start reading further, start reading about other investors and just the game gets harder and harder uh, as, as you learn more. So in, in college, I, I sucked myself into reading about investing in investors and I went to Bentley University and then thought that up. Uh, post graduation it'd be good to get uh, an investing investment banking background to get trained and, and do analysis and modeling and, and study corporate activity and, and understand capital structures and valuation um and i thought that would be a good background to eventually getting in, into investing myself so i went to jp morgan and you know i, I very appreciative of my time there it was it was a lot of work it was tough years it's like a going to a, a boot camp of sorts um 
I'm from San Juan, Puerto Rico. I came back. I came back here after finishing my two-year analyst program at J.P. Morgan, and fortunate enough to be able to partner with with family, including my father, um, who's, who's my mentor and and also part of the business, and launching our Vivo Capital Fund. And we we launched in 2014, so it's it's a uh, time has flown by and. Basically, the the strategy is concentrated long-term investing, and very general terms. And many of your guests have probably said the same thing. So we all have our own flavor based on our personality. So I think that's probably the fun part to to discuss. But that's a little bit about my background. Very cool. Yeah. No. I mean, look that that's a perfect segue. I mean, you know, the as you said, everybody has their own flavor. I mean, <laughs> I think I think you're becoming well known for your. You're you looking at you know media companies and streaming uh, just across the board media entertainment, and so uh, it's so much so we I actually had you on uh, the Investor Roundtable episode not that long ago talking about uh, streaming services and the future of media. So it's only right to have you back individually to talk about mm-hmm. this space and 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 what's happening, what's changing. So you know the thought the thing that I thought would be really fun today is that you know we talk about Disney, Marvel, and you know, curate and all, all these different companies that are in, around, circling in the media space in entertainment and whatnot. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about some of the business models, because even though I, I'm pretty sure everybody listening here, uh, especially if they're listening to this on this one streaming platform, knows Spotify. And but they may not know what their other revenue streams might be outside of having to pay a subscription to even have access to it. You know, so let's let's start there. You know, uh, uh, what, what would you say, how, how has the media, let's start with how the media landscape has really changed to going OTT, you know, and, and just understanding what some of the new models have come about as a result of that. So let, let's start there. And, and in terms of media, you're talking more about video first, or do you want to get into uh, to kind of the Spotify first? You know, and I, I mentioned Spotify, so let's go Spotify. Right? By the way, exactly. full disclosure, every name I just said, I'm not a shareholder. So Spotify, full disclosure, I am a shareholder. And they come from a different angle than the what, what grabs most of the headlines in terms of the streaming and, and streaming entertainment, streaming wars, I think was was very popular for for about a year or so. And But they have a very, relatively simple business model. Their business model is is to acquire um, users and subscribers, uh, mainly to just consume their product, which is music, but they have a new vision of it being all audio, which was basically a a strategy pivot, if you will, that they launched in early 2019, where they wanted to basically boost usage of their platform beyond just music so mostly podcasting but all their forms of of, of media within the audio space the non-music space and so they acquire usually customers who use spotify for free so there's an ad component there uh but the ad, ad revenue is still relatively small for for the company and what they do is over time, you use a product a lot, you use it for free, you start liking it more, you're getting engaged and you realize that if you pay for the subscription, it's a much better experience, um, especially on the music side, right? So no ads on the on the music side. 
And if you're a household with three members, four members, five members, it's probably better to get the family plan. If you're a college student, then pay for the college plan, which is which is uh, a lot cheaper as well. Um, and some of that is able to they have bundling partnerships across the world. But so that's that's really the strategy. And, and to layer that in, they say, look, we want to be ubiquitous everywhere, every device. If there's a new smart smart speaker that's released next year, we're going to be there. If there's a uh, a new Roku, if there's an Apple TV device, if there's a new car infotainment system we want to be there we're on ipads we're on every android we're on iphones they want to be everywhere because if they're everywhere where the subscriber is there's going to be that much of, of an advantage in terms of acquiring subscribers so they're globally they're 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 headed towards um towards 400 million subscribers i think they can reach that um in users next year and Roughly half of those could be paying or, or more. And it's a, a powerful business model because you have the data on your user. Um, your user constantly uses your platform. They know their habits. They can then negotiate as they grow scale, they can negotiate with their content providers. But in the music side, it, it's a tough business. They have to pay the, the major labels uh, around, call it 70% of their revenues to the to the music labels. So that's why they want to ex expand just audio. And audio is a, when you think about the audio opportunity, they frame it as, and I think correctly, that the global radio business, which is ad-based mostly, is about, they say 40, $50 billion advertising. I think in the US, it might be in the, in the low teens, billions of dollars, right? Everything's going streaming. Eventually, our kids and our kids' kids, they're not going to be necessarily tuning on this, you know, FM 6, whatever, or 945 or whatever channel to listen to a specific talk show host at a specific time, right? They're going to be streaming. And if you are a platform that all the audio entertainment in the world, and not only entertainment, but news, sports, everything, uh, you can capture that and you're in a, a global player. It's, it's a huge pie to take over. So it's, it's an ambitious model. It's an ambitious company, but I think they're heading in the right way. They have the right leaders in the, in the pivot of oh, one, one last point in the pivot towards yeah. non-music they're experimenting. So they're, they're, they're getting exclusive content. So Joe Rogan, the Obama's, the Royals, and Kardashian, they have a deal with DC Comics. So what's interesting is is books and comics are an extremely popular medium, right? But think about how that changes in the audio world. So if a, a comic, you know, people got used to listening audio books and just somebody reading the book. But what if you can produce, if it's fiction, right? Have a production that includes sound, if it's different characters, different people reading those characters. If there's an explosion, having the explosion in the background. So when you think of a deal with DC Comics and what Spotify can do to innovate with them, it's really changing the way people experience the content. So yep. it's it's pretty exciting if you, if you go down that line and this, they add more exclusive content 
plus having every podcast in the world because they they basically want to be like hey we want every free podcast any any person any high school kid on the street who just records something they want to have everything right so they acquired anchor they acquired megaphone to capture just all all the content and you layer that in with with the premium exclusives that we talked about all the music in the world a free tier a paying tier with probably more experimentation in the future and then you think about ubiquity and you think about being global so europe latin america asia um africa they're making a good or a huge push obviously the us then it it's an enormous opportunity and huge. so huge. when when we uh when in our, our villa we we bought spotify it, the market cap was around 45 billion and, and you think about this enormous opportunity that they're going after extremely focused yes there's other players right but they have different business models that we can discuss and there's some disadvantages and maybe some advantages as well but i think the the singular focus that spotify has and the opportunity that they're trying to capture um i think it, it's going to be a, a a great company to invest in so you know this is something I thought about a lot when it came to Spotify and just just even podcasting in general. And I, I know that this person has been, you know, not so friendly to or just just kind of like it's all about building the audience. But like I remember when Howard Stern re-signed with Sirius XM for another five years, I was kind of convinced like, oh, this is the opportunity for Spotify to like really like just just completely own all your everybody's ears right then and there like completely own it you know because i mean you know whether you're a fan or not i'm a i'm a fan personally you know like I, he, he's how many subscribers how many people listen to it on a daily basis i haven't listened since i was a kid you know like can you can you imagine i'm just curious from from your perspective why why do you think he didn't make that leap i think I'm I'm not a an investor in Sirius XM, but I know the company really well because I've been an investor in in the past um, via the the Liberty structure. Why did he not go? Look, I think it would have been a brilliant move for Spotify to get him. There's no doubt in the world, and I think his audience would have actually expanded. Um, but look, I think he has he still has a huge audience in Sirius XM. Sirius XM is an extremely well-run business, um, over th 30 million subscribers, sticky, low churn. They have a high customer acquisition model. They treat him like royalty, um, Howard Stern. He he, he works the, the amount of hours he wants. He has his team. It's like a, basically like a subsidiary of Sirius XM. I mean, Sirius Spotify would have given him carte blanche too, right? I mean, Spotify... <laughs> Uh, maybe, I but think. I mean, look, I, I think uh, reports are that, that Sirius XM is, is paying Howard Stern about $120 million a year. Um, Spotify got Joe Rogan, I think, a $100 million deal for three years. I think that what's what it's, if I'm not mistaken. So you're talking about $33 million ish a year for Joe Rogan, who is the the most the, the highest in demand podcast in the u.s and maybe in the world and then if you're paying up for howard stern 120 million you know yeah it's it, it's a it's a lot and you probably could have made a, 
a bunch of other, you know, acquire the, the Howard Stern of Latin America, acquire the Howard Stern of Africa, acquire the Howard Stern of Europe, of Asia. And maybe that could have yielded that 120 million. No doubt in my mind, those, you know, it's, it would have been great for Spotify, but maybe they they felt like they didn't, they didn't necessarily need him. Howard Stern was probably, is probably extremely, extremely happy with SiriusXM and how they treat him. More importantly, SiriusXM lives in, and dies under, under Howard Stern. Look, I think his, the 120, if you take away kind of the, the music costs that Sirius XM has to pay and you say, look, they're paying Howard Stern 120 million, which I think was Bloomberg report or the Wall Street Journal. I think that's um, maybe like 30% of their, their non-music content budget. That's a lot. To, you know, they, Sirius XM has NFL rights, NBA rights, uh, basically mo most sports rights. They have a lot of talk shows that are not cheap. It's uh, Howard Stern dominates that that content budget, and they they do it for a, a good reason because he drives a lot of the subscription, and I think SiriusXM couldn't afford to lose it. It's it's basically like a broadcaster losing NFL rights in this moment in time. You're you're yeah. dead. Um, so great for Spotify, but they also have a lot of other investments that they have to focus on. Um, they, uh, Sirius XM do or die. Plus they, they treat him well. And Howard Stern is happy. He wasn't like, he was unhappy. So I think that's why we, he, he stayed with Sirius XM. You know, it'd be the biggest coup ever is if let's say Apple decides to get into like the paid subscription game for podcasts or something or for premium content. And out of nowhere, they're just like 120. How about, how about 500? Come over here. Do whatever the hell you. They got the cash. Why not? Yeah, that'd be huge. I mean, it be it would be huge. I think here's the problem, and and there are reports that Apple now wants to get into the paid um, broadcast uh, business, whether they do or not. Let's see. But I don't think you can sustain a a paid podcast service without having basically every podcast, right? Um. Because if you don't have every podcast, then you're banking on your entire budget to be on some really, really high demand shows that people will stick for. And that's not a certainty. And that's, that's basically a bet. And the problem with getting every podcast on board is that you're going to have to tell every single podcaster who reads ads, hey, our model is better. Can you come here, but opt not to read ads? Forget about inserting ads, just people reading ads, the beginning of the pods, middle of pods, end of pods. So we're talking about from small podcasts to large networks like Vox Media, you know, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. The problem with that is how do you compensate them? I'm pretty sure the New York Times makes pretty decent money out of podcasting. I'm not doesn't run you know drive their business but it, it could be in the it's in the millions of dollars in, in, in more in, in all likelihood something like the ringer as well which is spot spotify owns so doubtful but right as well those are the so you're going to tell them a apple's going to come out and say like look four dollars every podcast ad free and some huge exclusive so to drive a subscriber base you're going to need every podcast compensate them right so they're going to have to take a, a chunk of that that money 
and it's going to be it ha, for the New York Times, for example, it has to be maybe even better than what they're getting from ads because potentially you're reducing their audience, right, in that medium. So you're going to need to co compensate every podcast. There might be some sort of variable percentage, which hard a hard model to to make uh to make it work. And in addition, you're going to have to acquire some huge podcasts that also have to make a a bet on your service, right? Because a reason why I think Spotify is being successful in acquiring, you know, very large exclusive content is because they have, you know, 300 plus million users, right? That basically listen to their service on a, on a monthly basis. And uh, a content creators also want to be seen, listened to. So if, Spotify is going to, I mean, Apple's going to give me a lot of money. Sure. The, the, if you're going to pay me $10 million a year, I'll do it in a second. Anybody will do that for a second, but that's not sustainable. And then everybody else, Hey, I actually want to be seen or heard. So you kind of need that flywheel. And that's why to acquire to subscribers, you need everyone plus the high paying one. So I don't know if you can make that model work because look, if the New York times won't go, the Vox Media's won't go, the Ringers won't go, and then the small podcasts won't go because, you know, even you can make decent money and then are you, is Apple going to guarantee that? So it's it's difficult. It's difficult to pull off. Arguably, you could you would need you would be an advantage to in order to have a, a non ad advertising based podcast subscription business. You would need an ad network because you would be able to flip the switch with those same podcasts. If you're on the if you're on the ad network, we can compensate you this way. If you're on the pay, we can compensate you this way. But if you're starting from scratch, right, a non-ad subscription podcast business to attract the eyeballs, attract the content providers, it's not easy. So, hey, if, if anyone has a shot outside of, of Spotify, I think probably Apple and Amazon, and they're putting resources, but they. It's not an important, you know, it's not an important business for Apple, right? And Apple has a music app. They have a podcast app. They, you know, they're investing pretty aggressively in their, in their premium television app. Um, it's, it's not their focus. Arguably combining the Apple podcast and music apps would help them. And then on the other hand, you have Amazon who's trying to get into, you know, they lost announced late in the year, I think the second half of last year that they were the Apple, the Amazon music app was going to get podcast and they were going to add something like seven, 70,000 podcasts. When you think about Spotify and Apple already in the millions, right? And some exclusives, but not people who are really dedicated in the, in the, in the podcasting game. Yeah, but and then um, you have, and then you have two apps in Amazon. Sorry. The, the Amazon Music, which now they're adding podcasts, and then you have Audible, which is also adding different exclusive podcasts and has a audiobook business model. So it's it's also not focused, and of course, it's not the the main business for for Amazon. So I think this focus that Spotify has and free, paid, maybe adding other tiers over time, um, getting exclusives, adding every podcast, um, having all the music. Um, I, you know, having the best user interface, I think it's, it, it pays off. That's paid Agreed. off. Really.
Agreed. Hey, I'm a I'm I'm not a shareholder, but I'm a big Spotify user. That I, that's where I listen to all my podcasts, all my music. I'm just waiting for them to get live sports. I think that's actually an opportunity that I hope they're really exploring because that'd be awesome. Like I know there's times where like I can't, you know, it drains my phone when I have you know Fox Sports on or CBS All Access, you know, watching a football game or something, but or NCAA tournament when it's on. Uh, but you know, you listen to the audio version; it's not going to drain the phone as much. Yeah, well, well, SiriusXM has a lot of those rights locked up in in the U.S. Um, and they they come over time, and they're not cheap, but they're not you know mega expensive either. I think it's something that they probably could eventually explore. They they bought the Ringer um, podcasting uh, network, and, and well, it's they also write a lot of uh, really good articles, and they Bill Simmons, huge former huge Ringer fan. Big, big. Yeah, me, me, me too. Uh, me too, and and uh, some of their binge mode and the watch, uh, pop culture content is also good. So it's not even the sports side. But Bill Simmons is a strategic thinker. I think that's why he made the Ringer so successful, acquiring, uh, mentoring, and acquiring very good talent and, and making them basically cook right. And I think he thinks about that long game. And there was an interview that he did after. Spotify acquired the the ringer and he's like, look, it's, I want to win. This is a long-term, a uh, big game to play. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Spotify goes down that, that route. I think it's a huge opportunity for them. Imagine, um, they'll know which sports teams you like so they can match you with the pod relevant podcasts. Um, you know, basically a, I, I'm a Washington football team fan and unfortunately, but you made the playoffs. <laughs> hey, made the play you, I'm a Giants fan, so you, that, you you made the playoffs. Just be thankful. Yes. <laughs> so they – Who's going to be your quarterback next year? Who knows? Who knows? Deshaun Watson. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but – That would be a cool. You th I, I think about Washington football, Washington football team, right? The ESPN reporter for the Washington football team has his own podcast all about the football team. And the the local radio shows that big fanatics of, of the football team, they all post it in, in podcast form. So if you acquire the the audio rights to the NFL, for example, and it's a two-way connection, so Sears XM is not necessarily getting all the data on its users and the demographic, right? You can cater the ads in between, you know, when somebody, a team punts or in between quarters or halftime is way better. You could, Spotify could do a halftime concert for even like a week two game, right? With their own content, their own music. You can see how the, 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 the getting the user data and the interactivity being an internet streaming based business, you can make that content extremely way better. You can, you know, have a, Oh, this guy's a fantasy fan, so we'll give him fantasy information, you know, at every ad, you know, every ad break. If if he we know he's listened to a couple of games of one team, then we'll push all these podcasts that are focused on one team because every single pro team has podcasts dedicated to those pro sports teams. Um, even if it's local radio, they'll upload it. So I think the opportunities are enormous just be just getting usage and engagement but the ancillary stuff of okay how we can do the halftime better the commercials better what other podcasts what music can we 
we put at this person who constantly listens to the sports on a live on Spotify. I'm not, I mean, they have a lot on their plate, right? They're, they're, they're going at hundred miles an hour globally, uh, ubiquitous in every device, um, expanding, you know, mentioned recently Africa and huge push there acquiring different exclusive content in terms of, uh, podcasts globally. Some of it's, uh, crime thrillers and, and, and everything you can think about. So I'm not sure where in the list the sports rights are, but as they grow and as they get more data, as you know, the ringer becomes more integrated, which was, it was just basically the ringer was acquired right when the pandemic was going to hit. Right. And yeah. We forget blew up. it was less than a year. <laughs> <laughs> it was, when they announced their non music push, it was, I think February, 2019, right. That wasn't it's two years ago, basically. So, yeah. um, and they're just, and they've, just gaining momentum now and with their first huge exclusive of joe rogan and michelle obama as well hey, so i got a question for you did i did in that interview with bill simmons i mean did he talk did he ever talk about his model around getting some of these you know well-known celebrities and former you know nba stars or nfl stars on how he got them to to host shows with them like how, how does that model work um, in terms of like before Spotify acquired them? Uh, yeah, before and, and after, you know, how, like, what are those deals? Was it, what, do, do they get paid on, um, do they get paid? I mean, who knows, you know, it could be a marketing push because they have, you know, the, they're the giant in the room now. They, so I think it was basically an ad based business for the most part. Um, and some of his podcasts and the ringer network are some of the most listened to podcasts right in, in the yeah. world frankly and so he gets he gets serious ad dollars like i think you know chase uh state farm uh the zone um all like big big brands as well and on a per episode probably the the, the bill simmons podcast alone it's pretty decent money that can count uh cover a couple of salaries so then you launch other verticals and things like that. It was a startup. I think HBO was a minority uh, shareholder. Um, and so that helped as well. And apparently ran a, a good ship that, that could support. I think it might have been reported that they had tens of millions in revenue, uh, probably under 50 million in revenue. And, you know, it's not like they're, they have a lot of employees, but it's not like, you know, yeah, they, I mean, they, employees, yeah, so. I mean, they're so, a decent-sized staff. It's not like it's it's small by any means. And so you can do a lot with like thirty million in revenue, right? That's, uh, that's coming in in, in the advertising business. I, you know, Bill Simmons doesn't have to pay himself, you know, five million a year, right? He can take a million and then twenty twenty million, twenty nine million to the whole staff and then growing. So, not sure what the particular model of acquiring a, a talent was but i think they had a i think they had a good business model um but definitely saw an amazing opportunity to sell to spotify and i think it it was probably a good deal for for both sides very good all right well i think we've covered the the audio streaming wars pretty well i mean is there anything in particular that maybe we should highlight that that we missed thus far before we shift to more of the 
the video streaming wars and really just talk about the Mandalorian for the next hour? Yeah. <laughs> Off the top of my head, no, I think we, we, we covered a lot of the right. other bases there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. All right, so, hey, what did you think of season three? No, but, um, so, all right, now we're on to the, the video streaming wars, you know, and we have our major players. We have our Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, CBS All Access, HBO Max. I mean, they're basically jockeying for all those same subscription dollars uh, that that we, you know, are available out there, right? Um, I mean, are, is has there been any model, any business models in particular that have kind of stood out to you and that that make a lot of sense for that platform, or has it more or less all been the same? And now it's just about like, all right, just get the best content and, and go. I think. There were a lot of headlines of extreme war, something mentioned earlier on. And I think in, it, it's fairly simple. I think Netflix is just a league of its own and no one else is, is even close. I think the one who is getting close and will get closer is Disney. And I think the reason why Netflix is, is so far ahead, they started early. They had a vision, singular focus, driven management team, great culture. And they went, they went after it and they acquired all the content that they needed to, licensing, shifting to in-house production. They went global quickly and over time and then started as they expanded globally, created lo local content. It's a subscription model, no ads, simple user interface, hired the best people in tech to continually improve the product, had hired the best people in content to continue to improve that side of the business. So initially they had people in-house, then they hired some people, and now they're hiring the, the best people in, in Hollywood, frankly, quite frankly. And and movies that they're releasing are, are, are you know the best actors. George Clooney just directed a, a movie for them. Leonardo DiCaprio is gonna come out in a movie this year. You know, Gal Gadot, which we discussed, is also coming out in a movie with The Rock um, later later this year, I think. So basically, they just continually improve, continually invest this singular focus global and just made the service better, better, and better. And, and their strategy is also, we're just going to have so much content for you that your engagement is inevitably going to increase you, because you're going to be satisfied with the volume that we have. Granted, there's a lot of talk that they don't have the best content, yada, yada, but they need, you know, in video, you can't mathematically acquire all content right but you need so much so that you have something to satisfy anybody all the time constantly every week obviously it's not going to be all hbo premium high quality right but that who cares right um they can have a layer that is like that but they can have a layer which is you know trashy reality dramas right and they have a layer which is like sports documentary and a layer of crime and a layer that's, you know, a little bit of everything. And, and I think that's their, their model. And they continually been um, underappreciated. Forgot to mention, I, I am a, a shareholder of Netflix. And I think when you think about, they have over 200 million subscribers. So households, if you think about the global uh, their, their target market is a global uh, households with high-speed internet, right? 
And that number is only going to increase. There's some reports it's, you know, excluding China could be nearing 800 million and eventually approaching a billion households with high-speed internet outside of China, right? In the medium term, I think it might be around 700 million today. Then you think about them having 200 million subscribers. So that's not even half of the, the penetration, right? They have shown an ability to increase prices without materially affecting churn. And I think when you go down the route of a subscription model that's getting a monthly revenue stream from, from their users and a fixed cost content base, when you own the content, it's a fixed cost. It's not variable. Eventually, the free cash flow numbers become extremely, extremely interesting if the model works. And I think that singular focus has allowed them to achieve that. When you bring other players in, and I'm, I'm a, a shareholder of Disney, and I've been very, very bullish on Disney Plus, they had to move mountains, right, to get to, to the scale that they have over the, the first uh, 13 months of Disney Plus uh, being live, they've reached about 87 million subscribers. So that's incredible, incredible performance. I mean, what? I'm sorry. sorry. And, and no, and largely with the library because they weren't really able to add, they had the Mandalorian, which is an enormous success. But then 2020, which is, they were supposed to add more Marvel series and other content, but a lot of it got this very, very expensive content that when you get shut down, it's, you know, you got to like uh, regroup it so hard. And uh, basically uh, 2020, uh, you didn't have that much new content. Yeah, I was about Sorry. to say, like, what an what an amazing accomplishment for them. I'm not shareholder Disney, but what an amazing accomplishment it was for them to even get to 87 million with a pandemic, because that just speaks to the power of their library and also, you know, their. I mean, look, I mean, Marvel's huge. You know, we joke about it, but it's huge. You know, the fact that all the movies are on there, especially in the pandemic. I mean. I, I got halfway through my Marvel uh, time <laughs> of watching it. You know, I still got a bit more to catch up, but 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 it speaks to the library of, of content that they have that they were able to. Hey, we're not releasing anything because we, we just literally a lot of the stuff isn't done yet. So hang with us. Here's the library. Here we bought a couple of cool things. You know, the Hamilton uh, concert or uh, the Hamilton musical. Um, you know, obviously the Mandalorian was amazing. You know, but they were able to sustain that upon launch, right? Yeah. And now it's literally, they, they say, I think it was on the Investor Day, they said every week in 2021, you're going to get a new episode of original content, whether it's from a Marvel show or a, uh, a, a, a Star Wars show. I, I mean, that's... Yeah, so, so a couple of things there. The pandemic helped them. People are at home. They could try it. But you have to sustain it right so they eliminated the the free trial for disney plus um because they were felt confident that you know people would pay and not churn out so having that success with the very limited original original content uh slate is bodes very very well for the future because now the investor data showed that they're draining all their resources to help disney plus so 87 uh, some people joked on Twitter, 87 million subscribers with a beta product, essentially. 
because <laughs> it's just a library. Yeah. It's not nothing. But my, why being a Disney shareholder actually made me bullish on Netflix because I was saying Disney had to move mountains to get where they are today. So they had to acquire a company called Bamtech, which was a, the streaming operations of the Major League Baseball. I remember um, and I think they, yeah. they had to pay like over over $3 billion uh, if I'm not mistaken to get that done. Bob, so Bob Iger talks about that in his, in his book. Like he was very, very specifically talking about how huge that acquisition was for them. They were like, should we start an operation from scratch or just buy the best tech we can get? They bought the best tech. They, they had the best franchises, right? But they didn't necessarily have the best TV production or as many franchises as they needed or or as global. So they needed to acquire the most of the assets of 21st Century Fox, which included a beefed up studio operation um, in, in the TV space, but also in the film space. And it brought more franchises in, which is the Disney bread and butter. But it also brought the, the star operation in India, which allowed them also to produce a lot of original content in India. It, that included an in-house streaming service, which they basically was it just a leading one in, in India? And they basically repurposed the premium tier of that service to be Disney plus Hotstar, which is the service in India. They It, it allowed them to get, get in control of Hulu, right? So they had a more adult-oriented vertical in the U.S., a domestic business. And with that, they were able to bundle it with Disney plus. And, and in addition to that, you, you're going to use a star brand and a lot of the adult content that came from 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 21st century and their content making capabilities and and use that to boost disney plus globally so disney plus is going to be aug augmented in many markets it's going to have like a star icon and there you can get more you know you can see r-rated movies and, and and things like that it brought in national geographic um the the channel and the content production business which has you know, great documentaries, very, very high quality and, and some scripted programming, um, historical scripts, scripted programming, which is, has been pretty good as well as successful. It also brought in FX, which has the FX studios, has the FX library. They put it all on Hulu. They basically put half of the FX slate. They could double the content budget for FX and then half of the slate, they put it directly to Hulu and half just airs the next day on hulu after airing sorry on fx and on a pay tv linear channel it'll go on hulu the next day so it augmented hulu so disney had to do all this they had to get you get the main studio uh french super franchises that they have so we're talking about disney animation and disney live action pixar marvel star wars and they went to all the heads and say look how can you help us make the business Disney plus even better. So Marvel had a TV business, but it wasn't really integrated into the Marvel cinematic universe. And now they're like a full TV production company. So this year, Marvel is releasing six original TV shows in the Marvel cinematic universe world into exclusively Disney plus. And these are um, movie, you know, quality productions, box office productions as TV shows, Star Wars, we know, they went to Mandalorian, having the the book of Boba Fett. They have an Ahsoka spinoff. They have a couple other other spinoffs that they're working on. 
um, Hank Star is doing their first ever long form TV show, and they're having a, a and they're adding way more shorts as well and short form TV shows. Disney Animation is doing their first more longer longer form, also very very high quality TV shows, and they're adding some of the princesses like Moana is having her a TV spinoff in in Tiana and a couple others. So Disney Plus is making Disney up its game. But it also made Iger realize that they didn't have enough. And they were the biggest and they were the best, but they didn't have enough and they had to do these deals and they've pulled it off. But like I said, they had to move mountains to do this, reorient the entire company, cut every licensing deal that they have. It's over. It's all going to our streaming service. That's It was a huge expense, right? They could have gotten their Netflix deal the Disney Netflix deal, so all of the movies used to go to Netflix and most of the library. They could have probably that was ending, right? So they probably could have gotten like over a billion dollars easy for that. Easy. So that's a, a, a tough revenue. You put a multiple on that, that's just cash coming in for the most part. You gotta compensate artists and etc. But it, it, it's a lot of cash flow. Um they they had to sacrifice that. They had to hurt their linear. They shut down the Disney Channel internationally is being shut down all over the world, um, and other other cable channels. They've taken write downs because of that. They're they're taking their marketing budget, just sinking it in Disney Plus. The launch was like huge. They partnered with Verizon in different markets. They partnered with the big uh, in the Verizon in the U.S. in different markets, different telcos. They just sunk every, you know, nickel and bone and resources. Like, look, either we're successful in this or we're not going to be a good business long-term and maybe we won't even survive as a, as a strong entity, right? We'll probably be very vulnerable or someone will acquire us or, you know, it will just be a declining business and et cetera. But so they didn't think that way. And when you and when you think what they had to do, and they achieved this, and they're going on their way to to get to a Netflix level, and then you apply that to everybody else, you're like, "Whoa, uh, that's going to be very tough to pull off." And then we, so we can yeah. go up by one of the other streaming services, but when you apply that type of thinking, it's just you no. Know, I'm very skeptical if, if other people can can match. I'm thinking the, the, the same the, thing. Enormity, scale, yeah. The, the, the enormity of in scale and global scale. Will there be other services that'll get millions and millions and maybe tens of millions and it'll be a decent business? Sure. Sure. But when when we're talking about hundreds of millions of global subscribers, that's another ball game and that provides other benefits as well and can actually make it a true viable, huge free cash flow business. And and by the way, Disney acted as this was their, their do or die, but Disney Plus also makes their parks more attractive. And their parks, you know, you go to the parks and you engage with the rides, you're like, oh, I want to watch this movie now. And where is it? Disney Plus. So it's a virtuous cycle. And if you go to the parks and you engage with Disney Plus, you're probably going to buy merchandising. You buy the merchandising and you, or and the toys and the products, you probably, you know, when my I have a, a, a four-year-old son, when he, you know, uses a, a, a it can be a Marvel toy, a Star Wars toy, any toy, he's like, oh, now I want to put the movie, and and while he's playing, and so, it's all that's the Disney model. Like everything feeds on everything, and Disney Plus 
supercharged the entire company, made the made the content better, made the business and made the business better long term because owning a a platform that has hundreds of millions of subscribers is gonna have pricing power. They signaled in the investor day that they're gonna be raising prices, or, you know, raising their already. content budget enormously. Yeah, they're already. <laughs> and when you go down that line, um, the, the type of cash flows that they, they can make, it's just, it's just enormous. So I think yep. when you apply that reasoning, we can go, you know, and I think Amazon and Apple are a world on their own because they're trillion dollar companies. They can afford to have kind of a, a side content business. But then when we think about the other players, it's just going to be a, such a tough road um, yeah. given what Netflix and, and Disney have paid. I mean, we, you know, it's interesting, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I said the main purpose of today's interview is to talk about all the various different business models, but it really comes down to just breaking down each individual business, because especially in this media and streaming space, each one of them are coming at it from a totally different perspective. And, you know, there some are, are more successful than others, but it really has to do with where they were coming from to where they're now at today. I mean, you think about like HBO Max, our, over the weekend, we've, we've been trying to watch uh uh, what was it? The flight attendant. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really great show. I only watched the first episode, but we're, we're hooked. And, um, you know, you think about, you know, uh, we, there, we're not, the court hasn't cut in our, in our household yet. So we're watching, we're watching HBO on, on cable. But when you try and watch HBO max through cable, you can't, you have to, you know, you look up online, you read everything. It's like, Oh, you have to go download the app. And it's like, Oh, man, this is kind of annoying. Like I have to go and I have to have a smart TV or have a, you know, have the app, have a the Apple TV, you know, and plug that in, you know? So there's, there's been different rollouts that have just been more difficult than others. Like I won't get pissed off about CBS. Like if I have to go and download the app to go and have access to, to their all access stuff like that, I'm used to already going on my computer and doing that. So the way HBO did it, it, it seemed like there could have been a better way rather than like you want to access the content, you want to watch it like on demand or something. And now it's not there because you have to go on HBO Max. It's so yeah, annoying. So, you know, H, HBO, you know, it's all it's almost as if they, they probably should have just started with a different brand name and added the HBO content and the Max quote unquote content and, and go from there. And they have a lot of obstacles uh, for various reasons, but the main one is they're trying to ship. They, they have such a, a relatively large base of pure HBO linear cable subscribers that they don't want to necessarily harm that. So they wanted to transfer that over into HBO Max. So they created a new app with the Max. It confused people. It, it was tough to negotiate with the the Comcasts of the world in order to agree on terms because you're you're basically shifting the business. On top of that, HBO was available in these so-called channels, uh, TV streaming channels, and I know it's I'm putting quote air quotes on the the word channels because you can go on Amazon Prime Video and then via Amazon Prime Video subscribe to HBO. So you get all the HBO content integrated into Amazon Prime. The same is available with Roku, Apple TV, and even Hulu. So they had to undo that. They had to teach consumers to use the HBO Max. 
tank deals um, to reorient that, right? And they HBO was already at a pretty high price. I think the ARPU was you know fourteen fifteen dollars, and you got Netflix that's cheaper, right? Disney Plus that's way cheaper, um, and you're asking them to pay a lot for this service that people think they know. So if I go to someone in the street, hey, HBO Max, so HBO, it's HBO, right? I don't want to pay for that. I mean, it's great. I like Game of Thrones, but then I turned off or whatever. So they basically had to kind of teach the consumer step-by-step kind of technical, uh, you know, it's it's a challenge though. And, and, and you know, my, my parents, for example, subscribe to HBO. I'm not sure very well educated smart people but you know they're not reading the the you know the the business well my dad is right so it's a bad example but take a, a normal uh group of parents but they're not necessarily reading the wall street journal and watching the hbo max investor day and understanding all this the, the typical um middle age kind of couple or household they're not understanding these things and then downloading the Apple. I have to use my Apple TV to get the content that I'm already paying for with direct TV or whatever. It's a mess, right? It's a mess. And, and it gets even more complicated when you think about HBO in the global level, because they have some deals in, in many parts of Europe where they essentially take all of their content, all of the HBO content and they license it to sky which is a, a satellite, but also IP-based uh, uh, pay TV company, but also internet and, and wireless uh, seller as well. And that's owned by Comcast, mm-hmm. right? And they, and they sold all the HBO content to Sky. And then Sky has their own brand called Sky Atlantic, which is another channel where they house all that content. So if you live in London um, or Germany or Italy, and you want to watch Game of Thrones, you don't necessarily know that it's an HBO show. It's a Sky Atlantic show. And those deals were re-upped right even after AT&T uh, bought um, Warner. And they, if I'm not mistaken, they go through 2025. So until 2025, HBO Max, in a significant way, is not going to have a huge subscriber base in, in, in Western Europe and, and, and the big economies there. In Canada, they, they have a similar deal in Canada. In Latin America, they needed to acquire partners. It was a little bit fragmented TV model. And then forget, I mean, in Asia, it's, it's probably uh, very similar as well. So they need, and it's not clear that they have the content to necessarily attract those markets either. So in the US, you're investing a lot in and and to get consumers to use a product because it's so confusing so they disrupted their their film slate which you could argue was a good move i'm not sure it was well as well executed right but the in the we can argue the quality of wonder woman too but it was a highly sought out movie and they put an hbo max and i think that field okay i think now i understand what hbo max is it's different hbo it's a different product um but they're also gonna so, so because of that i think it, it helped them but then it's the entire slate so right work with wonder woman let's see how it works with the next movie and the movie after that Dude, and they then all, if, they should do what disney plus is doing just cut the cord yeah cut the cord warner media put it all up just go all in they have the assets i mean they have they they they, they do some of the most bingeable stuff 
it they i mean they do and some a lot of it is on hbo the hbo max library is very very good it's just they don't they didn't have this necessarily do or die kind of culture they have a new ceo who's the ex-ceo of, of hulu and kind of in some ways known as like the father of hulu and jason kylar and he's very focused and very tech driven and apparently he was the one who you know caused him to to put wonder woman in some of this huge content on hbo max but it, it's it's not easy when you think of the global space is even harder right because some of the deals are locked up right and and not only that they want to layer in a ad-based uh tier so i'm not sure how that's going to work either so it's it's a little bit all over the place and i think they'll get a good amount of scale but i'm not sure they'll be able to kind of catch up there to the disney plus netflix level they're, they're handicapped in some markets you just can't really be in there but just having you think about originals really drive this and the man i was reading today that the Mandalorian was a huge driver in Indonesia, right? A market that apparently Star Wars didn't do as well in the box office with the recent movies. We're talking about really, really like content that's universal for Disney and franchises is extremely well executed on. So the Mandalorian even did well in, in, in markets where you would never think about uh, it doing well. The flight attendant on HBO Max is probably not going to do well in Indonesia, right? Um, they're going to need more local programming there. They, they might need, like, Game of Thrones. People in Europe watched it already, mostly via Sky, right? They're going to need a lot of original content that they have to be pretty darn sure is going to drive usage it has to be more ubiquitous. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's, that's very, very hard. That's very, very hard. And, and and it's becoming it's becoming like it's getting to the point like what was the point of this ATT acquisition anyway? It was an experiment acquiring direct TV. And this is a side conversation we can go hours on, but it was ATT bought direct TV because they saw that Comcast was trying to acquire Time Warner Cable, which obviously they didn't succeed and Charter bought them. But ATT decided they needed scale, so they got direct TV. And then they decided they needed content, so they got a time Warner, which we ran as Warner Media, which is where uh, what owns HBO. And now they're doing the streaming service, and they're acting in a way that, yes, aggressively, they have to untangle a lot of things. I'm not sure if it's going to be successful, but it's not going to be the thing that's going to drive the wireless subscribers for AT and T necessarily. So what was the point of it all? And then we're. Um, we're at a point where you know maybe they need to be beef up right in order to actually be successful and i think that's what disney realized but they realized this like four years ago um and that's why they are where they are today and you think about a peacock which is a streaming service for comcast um you know it has a free tier then ad based and no ads uh they have a lot of signups a lot of them is probably in the Comcast broadband market, which everybody in the who's a subscriber to Comcast broadband or pay TV gets Peacock. But when you think about their content, where is it, right? Something I thought about when analyzing Disney Plus, like are they really cutting the Netflix licensing deal, the global licensing deals, and, and they were. When you look at uh, Comcast, which is parent of NBC Universal, which owns Peacock, where is their best content? 
So I think about the family animation, right? So they own DreamWorks, they own Illumination. So the Minions and Trolls and all that really high quality content that does really well for them. Illumination content is mostly licensed to Netflix. So next Illumination movie that goes to theaters is gonna go to Netflix after. And then the DreamWorks content is going to Hulu. And then you think think about some of their best high quality IP like Jurassic World, right? Fast and the Furious. They started making animation shows for uh, Jurassic World and Fast and the Furious. And they license that to, to Netflix. They license other content to Hulu. So your best, 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 best content is not on Peacock. Your best sports rights not on Peacock. Some sideshow Olympic shows will drive users is going to go there eventually. We have the Olympics this year. But the best content is not there. It's not clear they want to kind of put it all there or can actually get the audience and also make it worth it because that's important as well um, because they don't have the usage yet. And and in, in addition... In addition to that, um, it's it's not an all-in, right? It's sort of like a like another linear channel for them. I think that's how they kind of view it as a broadcast network of the future. That's what they've said, and it's not clear that that there that should be there should be a broadcast network of the future. I mean, if you want the best free content for video, just go to YouTube, really, um, for the most oh, part. That's, so that's a conversation for a whole another day. You so YouTube, no. Man. And, and and you look at the and YouTube is I mean look how Cobra Kai did on Netflix versus YouTube right and and YouTube has more usage than, than Netflix so that's that's also to the power to the benefit um, and shows the strength of, of Netflix but you know Peacock one of their best rights that they used to license to Netflix was the the Office the TV Office, show yeah. and. What was interesting is that once The Office left Netflix a couple of weeks ago, now they put it on Peacock, but apparently the, the amount of iTunes purchases of The Office went like through the roof. Um, it's not clear that those people who love, like there are super huge fanatics of The Office and they always watch it, right? But it, you can buy all like, I think seven seasons or it's for 20, 25 bucks. You know, if you're a true, true, true fan, just do that versus subscribe to, to Peacock. And it was doing a lot of usage on on Netflix. They were getting really, really good money. You know, I, I'm not sure that they they helped their cause. So we'll see. They they could have a good business, like we talked about. They can get tens of millions of users, subscribers, something like HBO as well. But are they gonna get to that hundreds of millions of subscribers? And I think what you need to do to get to that level is so hard. Um. Even that for them, just makes me, yeah. Even yeah, for like, them, yeah. even for yeah. for the the you think about Universal, Warner, Disney. Those are studios that have been around like you know, almost a hundred years, or right. So they, they're great content businesses, but even for them, like you just said, getting to that global domination is extremely, extremely hard. Um, and when you're competing with Netflix releasing tons of shows and tons of movies basically every day or every week like in tonnage right uh disney's like very very high quality very very franchised global appeal um fan base weekly um netflix is like tonnage weekly <laughs> or daily right. almost 
And then you think about everybody else. Uh, how can I be di differentiated enough to compete? Not only U.S. but globally is is so hard. I mean, we'll see. It'll it'll be very interesting. But nobody uses a streaming wars headlines anymore because they just know it's for now. Netflix and then Disney has done extremely well, and then the others will we'll see. Yeah. Um, so my so my final question for you today, because look, you know we're we're a microcap show, right? We talk we like to talk microcap investing strategies, all all investing strategies. But you know, um, we just held an event, a, a virtual event covering Canadian microcaps, and we actually did a panel about you know the the future of media, the media landscape, and how Canadian because this was all about Canadian listed companies and how they could take advantage. We had we had three media companies on there participating, and it got me thinking into you know especially when talking to you today is talking about the future for these publicly listed entertainment and media companies and where their place is in this ecosystem now you know the more i think about it the more it's an, it's like okay can they build their own network and channel for this or i mean could would it have to just be really really niche in order to see some kind of success or is it better to be on the other side and just produce high quality content for these big streaming players that can, you know, will go in and buy it, you know, or or sign contracts with them to create multiple seasons. You know, I, I don't know. What, what did you think about that? Sure, I'll give my thoughts. But first, I forgot to mention, since we talked about Peacock, I am a shareholder of Comcast because I know uh, the, the full disclosures here. Thank um, you, sir. And, and we'll, going ahead, um, look, I think you have to be very, very niche. It's not only video, but all type of content. If, if you're want to su succeed at a small scale a smaller scale when you compare it to like say a, a netflix or, or spotify and you think some people are done really well with like subscription type of newsletters and, and you see ben thompson with strategy uh makes millions and he's a, basically a one 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 man show writing weekly analysis on on strategy in the, in the tech industry and when you think about video content, there are YouTube networks that can do really, really well. So uh, if you know, don't know about him, you'll probably know about him in the future with your daughter. Um, this kid, Ryan, on YouTube, who basically parents just record him opening and playing with toys. And it's become this whole almost franchise. And now my wife the other day bought toothpaste and it was Ryan, Ryan's World branded. And that's an operation that they make tens of millions a year, right? Uh, I think cumulative, they've made a, that family has made over a hundred million. It's YouTube ads and licensing, and it's just you know their parents. They got obviously better at the production quality over time, but it started with just recording their kid opening and playing toys. And but when you think about a business and you have to invest millions and millions and millions of dollars, is it's it's not, you know, you can't really you can't really be niche. And we're at a we're at a world right that the amount of content that's being produced on the television and movie side is so so much. You know, you think about globally, it's just tonnage and tonnage and tonnage and tonnage. You can't really stand out unless you are niche and can succeed at, at, at that level or a huge major franchise, kind of like a Marvel, right? So there was this book called uh, The Hitmakers, uh, Derek Thompson, for, who writes for The Atlantic. 
And he talks about this, right? Just how do you stand out in a world where there's so much content and, and quality and branded and very, very, very high production values and very, very well executed. And you can't be a small business anymore to, to play in that game. So I think there are a lot of the smaller players that I think can find their niche and can do well. And uh, I think recently via a SPAC, um, the founder of Discovery started a, a streaming service called Curiosity Stream. It's nature, it's cheaper. And it went public and it's not a big business. And those could potentially do well. I'm not a shareholder. Um, but it's tough, right? Because history, natural-based uh, documentaries and, you know, Discovery does the same thing. Uh, Disney with National Geographic does the same thing. Netflix can invest in that on a dime and get more viewers, volumes, that. So it's it's really it's really tough to compete. So one way I would think about it: Can Netflix, and you know, if you if if you have a more niche or smaller business, can Netflix replicate that and do way better, right? So, and the answer is yes. Then you either need to consolidate or or, or maybe over time it's just going to be a, a worse and, and worse yeah. business. No, you know, you know what I've been noticing, in, especially in microcaps, is the companies that are, you know, really making a push and, 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 and starting to really to gain some traction are really operating in the, the children's content space, you know, creating animated shows or not so much live action, but mo mostly on the animation side. Cause that seems to be where you can create the most, I, I I've said this once already. It's my word of the day, ubiquity um, yeah. in terms of something that can appeal to, you know, obviously as parents ourselves, like we're going to want content for our kids that they'll enjoy learn from, of course. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's also nice if we can enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, there are some of those businesses. I think the, the producer of, of Coco uh, Lemon um, was acquired recently and they make a lot of kids animated uh, cheaper production, but very highly entertaining for kids uh, content. And and it's definitely I think it's is one of the top um, channels on on YouTube. It gets the viewer numbers are ridiculous if you if you check them out. And they've also licensed to Netflix, so there are verticals that you can succeed if you align the cost structure and the opportunity set appropriately. Uh, for sure. All right, Francisco, we're there. So we're gonna have to have you back on. I didn't even get you get to ask you some <laughs> of my uh, my my baseline questions that I ask everybody. So <laughs> definitely gonna have to have you back on uh, at some point. But you know, with that, where can my audience go and find everything they need to know to follow along you and Arabella? I you know, following me on Twitter, I'm 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 active, not super active, but um, constantly on in terms of posting, I'm, I'm constantly on on daily. But on Twitter, my handle is at Franco Oliveira. So happy to engage with, with people there. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, happy to chat investing or streaming or anything in general. <laughs> with that, Francisco, thank you so much for joining me, man. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. And uh, stay safe. Good luck. Talk to you soon, man. Thank you so much. It was, it was a blast.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.